On this episode of The Fieldhouse Files, I'll share my experience from Chicago inside the drawing room at the draft lottery and attending the draft combine. Then I'll answer fan questions. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, I'm back from Chicago, been able to get some rest uh, after a long last week, and finally sat down and have some time to record a new episode, doing so on Monday, May 23rd, and it never stops, though, in reality. Earlier today, over at St. Vincent Center, where the team had their second pre-draft workout but on this podcast I want to look back at the last week and share with you what it was exactly like at the Marriott Marquis and the McCormick Place Convention Center and all the different things happening with the NBA world convening there in downtown Chicago but first just a reminder previous episodes of this podcast include Caitlin Cooper she was excellent on the last episode before that I did a season wrap-up that included a look ahead to next season and this offseason and later this week I'll have on Jared Simpson he's currently an assistant coach for the fever he played college basketball was a Pacers intern worked in the video room moved up and with the Mad Ants as an assistant coach and after a season away in Arizona came back and is now an assistant coach for the Indiana fever and I'll by the way discuss the Fever's 10-year anniversary reunion of the championship team. That was held on Sunday. I was part of that group, believe it or not, as the equipment manager. So it was so much fun to see almost the entire team back on Sunday at the field house, seeing the crowd, seeing the old banners hung up, and so many fun things for them. By the way, also checking out the new locker room digs because of the field house renovations. It's brand new to almost all of them. All right, so I spent all of last week in Chicago. I think it'd be called the South Side. It was, you know, just off the water there on the south end of the main area that I would call Chicago. It was the second year in a row. It was held at Trust Arena. That's home to DePaul, the Chicago Sky, the WNBA, and a much better setup um, than it previously was held out for what felt like a decade. Uh, that was a, at a Questplex, a smaller complex further north, closer to the United Center. Well, this was way better. And, and last year, still with COVID restrictions, it was much more limited. You didn't quite have the turnout, especially in terms of media. But this place was massive. We were at the Marriott Marquis Hotel, which was part of a convention center. And you really didn't have to go outside unless you wanted to, which I did a couple times to get some fresh air meet some people for some dinners. But other than that, you could stay inside, even if it was cold. That, that was perfect. It was windy, though. Uh, windy city, <laughs> right? But uh, it was really good opportunity to see everyone across the league, not just Pacers people. And by the way, there were several other conferences going on at the time. The one that I laughed about that uh, seems like uh, the resources could be put elsewhere, but Abbott was having one on heart health, which I thought was interesting. That was nearby a... On my way to a lounge, I had to pass that every single day. Conference rooms were filled with stations from the players, whether it was meals or COVID testing, uh, maybe get to know some activations for sponsorships, stuff like that. Uh, so much going on inside that hotel. And for instance, at breakfast each morning, I couldn't stop seeing people. One morning there was Tim Hardaway, and there was a Pacers scout, several Lakers people. 
sitting, uh, there was three of them at a table right next to me, uh, just full of NBA life. And and that's what I love. I love being around like-minded people uh, in terms of work here and, and to see those people and have conversations and either meet people I've only had phone conversations with or or be introduced to a whole new group. That's a lot of fun. And I laughed. The first person I ran into at the hotel was Peter Dinwiddie, an indie native, former Pacers exec. Second person, after I parked my car, walked across the skywalk, Steve Ganzi, former Mad Ants head coach. I kid you not. The first two humans I encounter, they're in Chicago. Two former Pacers sports and entertainment employees, and Ganzi served as a head coach for one of the team's that was scrimmaging, so that was a, a cool opportunity for him to get more reps, meet more people, um, be showcased, so to speak, to a much lo- lesser degree, but in front of league execs, agents, um, that sort of thing. But uh, a great time there in Chicago, and let's get started with that Tuesday. It was the draft lottery, and I was one of eight media members invited inside to watch and be there and document it. Just one other local writer, that was Jonathan Fagan from Houston. The rest were national guys, names you'd probably know like Zach Lowe, Chris Mannix. Um, but around 5.30, we left like a media area at the convention center, left our devices behind, which, oh, that was tough for me, leaving my phone and my took off my Apple Watch, left it in the bag. And then once we got to the conference room, let's call it, where the drawing took place. I slipped my phone inside a manila envelope, put my name on it, walked past security, and then there we are inside this room here. No technology. Half the room you haven't seen before I'm unfamiliar with. A lot of familiar faces as well, media, uh, some team people. For example, inside, by the way, Sam Presti of OKC, David Griffin of New Orleans, Dwayne Hankins, the new president of the Trailblazers, met the minority owner, a minority owner of the Sacramento Kings. Good to catch up with head PR man of the Magic, Joel Glass, who ended up having a spectacular night as the Magic won the lottery and will have the number one overall pick for the fourth time. Pacers are one of about a half dozen teams that has never had it. The Magic getting some luck yet again, moving up to that number one spot. For the Pacers inside that room, it was general manager Chad Buchanan. It was not his first time doing it. He had been in that room before, and it had worked out well for them. He was tracking two picks, theirs of the talking about the play, Trailblazers, and and one that would be theirs if it met a certain criteria, and it worked out for them. This time, Pacers moved back just one spot. It was highly unlikely, like a 2% chance, that they would get that fifth spot. So realistically, you were hoping for that fourth spot. Top three would have been great, but fourth spot or the sixth spot, and they ended up with the sixth overall pick, which should give them plenty of options. I don't remember a draft in the last decade where there was just so much uncertainty. You could make a strong case for I think three or four guys to go in those top picks, not a consensus number one. Then maybe after those top three or four, it could be a couple random out of the blue or or guys that specific teams fell in love with. There's kind of a a grouping, I would say, of maybe four to eight players that could then go, plus a couple wild cards perhaps. So that's where things get really interesting. We had about 20 minutes, it felt like. And this was my one mistake is not bringing an old school watch with me because the room felt much like a Las Vegas casino. And by the way, in case you didn't know, and I need to stop saying by the way here, 
But you can go to fieldhousefiles.com. I wrote about this full experience for subscribers in great detail. Everything from the ping pong balls and how the Pacers had 105 different combinations, the fifth best odds, and how they really needed for the number three to come up. Uh, so you can read that at fieldhousefiles.com. I highly encourage you to. I had not only covered kind of the format and what it was like inside the room, but also what Chad was like and a Pacers perspective as well. I tried to capture it for the local and national audience. Be sure to check that out. But once inside, again, didn't have a clock, but it felt like about 20 minutes later after going through security, everyone had gathered in the room. They said, hey, could you take your seats for the team? And their representatives, there were three rows. Second and third rows were elevated kind of on a mini platform. And then at the front of the room, behind a podium, was Byron Spruell, the president of League Operations. Next to him, uh, a couple people with Ernst & Young, the firm that handles this to make sure it's done in a proper and legal way. A couple other legal uh, execs there for the NBA as well, a director of security. Sitting behind us, or by the way, we were on the left side of the room Two rows of media, four in each row, and then a couple rows behind us, uh, a couple NBA PR people and other people maybe I didn't know. I think there were about four TV cameras. Those were for the NBA entertainment to document it and publish it in further transparency. That's what they're going for. That's why they record it and show it. That's why they allow media members in there to not just watch it, but to then write about it. And so there we are, we're sitting in the first two rows, and a league official comes in and explains things, and Byron Spruell says, hey, any questions? All right. There were none. And he looked for the cue from a TV, let's call him a producer. They gave him the cue, and we get started on what turned out to be about a 13-minute process, led by Byron Spruell at the front of the room, and then a couple under other individuals uh, doing the drawing with the 1,001 different ping-pong ball combinations. Again, the Pacers had the fifth-best odds. They had about 105 different combinations of four numbers that could come up. The balls were numbered 1 through 14 and put inside a clear what they called drum there at the front of the room. Pacers had a 42% chance of leaping into that top four and 19.6% chance of landing at six which they indeed did do. So, uh, again, they needed the number three. It came up just once during the 20 balls that were drawn. And you might be saying, why 20? Shouldn't it be 16, right? Four numbers each for four different sets, let's call them. Picks one through four. Well, after Houston came up for the number three pick, they also came up for the fourth pick. So you wipe that one away and draw again. In Sacramento with Sabonis in another room having no clue what was going on, obviously, because we're locked down in that room. No one on the outside has any idea what's going on. They jumped up into four. So it's Magic, it's Thunder, it's Houston, Sacramento Kings, and the Pistons, followed by the Pacers. And so that 13-minute process is complete. And by the way, after all the numbers are drawn, so let's make it up. You know, or Actually, I can look at my story here and... Uh, one of the combinations that was drawn here, 14, 1, 13, and 6. So there were eight boards stage left, and an individual was over there looking at those boards. In front of each of us, we had about an eight-page packet that had all the combinations, but they look 1, 6, 13, 14, and then he would shout out the name 
of the team that had those numbers. And so, of course, the first one belonged to the Orlando Magic, and then you'd proceed on. But they had those giant boards, and, and probably for presentation purposes, um, so that we could all see it loud and clear. And then there was an individual writing it up on kind of an easel board of what the numbers were each time. And then most of the executives in the room also had a pad and paper, and they were also writing down what those numbers were. But then we were done with that formal process, but couldn't leave. Nobody left. And so what I'd estimate about 40 individuals in the room, NBA PR, media, some camera individuals recording it, some Ernst & Young, uh, the team representatives, we were in there. They brought out some chicken sandwiches. There was some fruit, cookies, some soda or pop, whichever you call it, some Gatorade, waters. By the way, waters were gone. I probably checked within five minutes. Waters were gonzo. So that's the pro tip for next time. Either grab a water beforehand or NBA to bring in some more waters. I ultimately ended up with a Gatorade, and I did take a fan question about that. So I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But then it was kind of... You were reacting briefly, um, but mostly then you were talking. You were talking with other media members, other executives, introducing yourself, picking up conversations that were started earlier, before it was showtime. And then, you know, maybe 40 minutes later, they rolled out a cart with a giant TV and hooked up speakers. And then, like you and your friends, we watched the TV production of the draft lottery, during which time, Again, nobody left except for an Ernst & Young's person and director of NBA security. So they carried those envelopes in and delivered them on stage where they were opened up publicly and seen from by everybody outside of the room for the first time. And so it was funny. Then we all took a seat and gathered around and watched how it all went down, kind of laughed when Dumas was shown up on the board and Lillard gave his reaction and then uh, the magic Head coach Jamal Mosley was able to celebrate on stage as the Magic got the first overall pick. But it's really interesting time to see that all take place. Obviously, the Pacers wish it would have gone a little better, but still not too bad for them. They'll have the sixth overall pick. So after the entire TV show has completed, all the picks are known. They opened up the doors. We grabbed our manila envelope. I grabbed my iPhone and saw many texts, several tweets. Chad Buchanan was right behind me, the Pacers GM. He did the same. And then we slid there to the side at the convention center. I talked with him on the record about the sixth pick, his experience inside, Kelly Kroskoff representing them on stage. And by the way, this was before we went down to the lottery room, the TV production, and he was able to react with the other members of the front office or anyone else. So this is his real raw reaction minutes after leaving the drawing room, we had talked for you know twenty some minutes inside the drawing room, but this is the first time on the record about his experience and all of that. So I want to share that with you here. First of all, just your reaction of where you guys were at and and what led to this, your experience in there. Yeah, I think you're always hopeful. You know, you don't want to be in that room very often, but you're hopeful when you are. And um, you know, going into it, you know, I feel like there's a certain level of players that, in this draft that we like, and we still feel very good about where we ended up. You know, love to be higher, but at the same time, where we're at is a great opportunity. You know, this franchise hasn't had in a long time, and there's talent in every draft, and um, we feel feel really good. But you know, where we're at, 
we're, we're, we're very happy with. So no, no disappointment. <laughs> You'd love to be a little lucky, yeah. but at the same time, we're going to get a good player. What were you feeling like coming into this just in terms of you and your role of the night? Uh, optimistic, hopeful, trying to, uh, you know, good positive thoughts all day. And But, you know, it's been two months. It feels like right. we know we're going to be in this room. Yeah. And so you kind of put it off and just focus on the day-to-day of things. And, you know, I think it was hopeful to be a great night. And I still, like, I'm not going to be disappointed that we have the sixth pick in the draft. It's like a great chance to, like, add something to our team that could really help us move forward. And so I'm not discouraged at all you know mm-hmm. slight disappointment initially but I mean I'm excited about what the six pick could bring for us you know just the player could bring and other opportunities that a pick that high can bring to a team is it's exciting for us so and it's picking where we've been picking you know this is a great great opportunity how this experience compared to the last time when you were in yeah last time I was when I was at Portland I kind of had two two uh, dogs in the fight you know our own pick and then the chance to get another pick which we end up getting so um, you know, it's it's kind of an odd experience because there's really only one person who's really happy yep. at the end of the night. Some of the people are happy different degrees, but, um, you know, obviously you're com- competing with everybody in the room. And at the same time, you trust you know, that we're going to have a good player coming to our team next year. And, you know, whether he was going to be the first pick or the sixth pick or the ninth pick, you know, we're, we're excited for the chance to, to add somebody. Any superstitions, lucky socks, or I had a son l- give you anything? I had a lucky thing that i brought but it, you know it's i i i can't divulge what it was or who gave it to me so i promised you that i wouldn't do that whether we did good or we did bad did you bring it or are you wearing it? no i brought it i brought it okay yeah so whether we if we got the first pick i couldn't tell you that so i i made a promise i won't divulge what it yeah. was or anything like That's that <laughs> did you what was your communication with kelly going into this like did you meet in a hotel Just, room coming in here we, or? we met walked over here um sat in the reception area for a little bit and just Kelly's obviously very very optimistic all the time and it's rubbed off onto all of us and so um we're hopeful but you know at the same time you got to be prepared for any outcome you know you want the best but you also know that's not a guarantee and like I said we felt like there's a certain number of hey how's it going there's a certain number of guys in this draft that we like and we're in that wheelhouse so we're very very hey Leon we're very, very excited still. One last thing. I'm just in Kelly in general, working with her, yeah. seeing her on stage and getting this special moment. What is yeah. that? I mean, she's a phenomenal piece of our team. Like, she's Kevin, Ted, you know, KP, we all value her. And she's just, she brings great perspective every day. And, you know, she deserves, you know, a lot of notoriety and, you know, you know respect for what she does for our organization. And we couldn't operate without her. So, you know, she's... You know, like I said, we were hoping she'd be our lucky charm tonight. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, we're kind of, you know, as a group, you know, we're very low-key, I feel like, you know, as a front office staff, and Kelly's the same way. And nobody's in it for, you know, anything other than the best of the franchise and trying to, you know, help Mr. Simon get a championship. So mm-hmm. she's she's a huge, huge piece of what we do every day. What was it like for you not having your phone or your wallet yeah. or your keys, all that? Because it's just weird knowing something and not being able to it is, share yeah. it for me, tweet it. Yeah. Like you just Try to fill the time with conversation. Yeah. And not know? even, I guess you had a watch. I didn't <clears throat> yeah, I yeah. Had to take mine off. Yeah. And you didn't even know what time it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just, it was a good chance to like catch up with some people in the room too. Mm-hmm. You know, like I never met Dwayne Hankins, the 
okay. Blazers president. So got to talk to him for a while, get to know him a little bit, and realize he's an Iowa State grad. So like we have some small world. <laughs> yeah. So just a chance to meet some people that you don't have a chance to interact with very often. So I mean, you're always you'd love to have your phone. You feel kind of you know naked, naked without yeah. it, but same time it was you know it was fine i was prepared for it because i've done it before right yeah gotcha so appreciated chad willing to talk after that and, and you could sense the optimism in his voice and everything he had to say and for good reason six is a really good pick here obviously you want better but they have not experienced a, a pick like this in quite a long time so you absolutely take it and you hope really not to be back anytime soon because that means you're having team success but after this that interview, we walked down and ran into Kelly, then saw Kevin Pritchard, and then Kevin talked uh, for about 15 minutes about what it meant and answered any questions. This was his first time talking since the end of the season. He did not do his postseason, end-of-season media availability. He said he decided that they wanted to kind of turn the page, and so they thought this was a, a good point to do so, to look back at last season, but more so look ahead to what this offseason will be about and what draft pick the teams will have here. Before then, there would have been a lot of hypothetical questions before the Pacers knew that the sixth pick would be theirs. After Kevin talked with us, he went to do a Zoom with some media reporters that were not in Chicago. There were just two of us, and so he did that. Then I was told he jumped on another call and and joined, I think, season ticket holders who were – in Indy and, and having some kind of celebration party uh, and gathered for this draft lottery. And then, finally, the front office and scouts went out to dinner on Tuesday night before a full slate the rest of the week. These are full days for the teams. Mornings the all week long are filled with interviews. They can request about 30 guys. They usually meet with about 20 for 30 minutes each. And Pacers are doing some different things this year. Rick Carlisle having influence there. Uh, for good reason, and, and you want that. And I'll write about that here coming up soon. The afternoons then each day were spent in the gym. The first day for testing, wingspan, standing reach, agility, all those different kinds of things. Then Thursday and Friday, you have a couple scrimmages each day. Then at night, throughout the week, the different agencies, the groups and individuals that represent the players held what they call pro days, where they're showing off the players that they represent. It could be a couple players. It could be a dozen players. It depends on the agency. But to put it lightly, these individuals, these teams had full plates all day long last week. So they they would divvy it up some um, during the scrimmages and those big portions, about a dozen of them for the Pacers specifically were there. They sat in the same area, about five rows up at the top joined together and watching. But there were over a dozen Pro Days held this week, and uh, there was even one held after Friday's events. There was another one held Saturday. And coming up, there will be, I think, a three-day period in Los Angeles. But that's it. And that appeals to these front office executives. They were traveling all over the country, New York, Miami, California, Arizona. That was exhausting. On top of that, it just wasn't functional it didn't work out well for anybody and on top of that from what I've been told these pro days aren't very productive for teams it's mostly teams taking care of agents and and showing up and and representing the team and that type of thing but if you have them all over by the way that means the top executives can't make it to all of them 
as well. Pro Day is least important, uh, mostly, again, just a show for the agents. Medical, very important. Some testing is important and influential. The interviews have gotten even more important. Background info is a year-long process, maybe several years, as they're gathering their packet of information on each player, um, even those that will go ahead of them, because you never know when they make become available in free agency, for example. So you're always gathering intel and going over film, watching them in person, and watching them in practice at their college is very, very important. One of the best examples of that is Miles Turner. Was not a good player at Texas, was misused. He admits that under Rick Barnes. But in practice, that's where he really impressed some of the Pacers' college scouts. Scrimmage has some influence. It can help, certainly, a player jump when you see him against similar competition uh, when it comes to guys can competing and such but most of the top guys sit out so it's it's also not the best indicator but it does help there is uh, some places where it does matter that's for sure Uh, a local favorite wrote about how trace jackson davis he was invited to the combine one of 76 individuals he did not participate he tested positive for covid last week was asymptomatic but was unable to kind of gear up for the combine or participate in the combine and that really then hurt his chances even more so. Wasn't feeling as confident. I was surprised he still didn't go through and go work out for some teams. I thought that was probably the most important thing for him in his case individually, but he elected to return to Bloomington and could be the Big Ten Player of the Year and could help IU have a special season. But that was a a local player of interest that I was going to track there, but he ended up not going. So there was other guys, right, and Jaden – Ivy, for example, and him being a top five prospect, probably he was one of those that did not talk, did not do interviews, did not do on court work. Travion Williams, his teammate at Purdue, uh, he did very well for himself. I think he helped his uh, draft positioning potentially. Pacers, they had their entire front office there. Most of their scouts, Rick Carlisle was there as well. It was just, in general, a productive time, made easy with the location. The Pacers, for instance, they can make the three-hour drive up north, whereas other teams have to fly in, presumably charter. Uh, But the Pacers don't have to do that. They can arrive on their own time, leave on their own time, have several different cars up there. It's a very good time to combine together intel and info, both from agents and media. A lot of different conversations going on with other executives, many of which I saw could be the start of deals that are then completed later on. I remember uh, I was sitting down in the lobby of the hotel and across the way, kind of hidden, there was Rob Palinka having a conversation with, with another executive. At the arena, there's Woj, there's Shams having conversations with some of these executives and their scouts and, and other media members, some of which you probably wouldn't know having those conversations. It's a good intel sharing and gathering, uh, especially for us media, because a lot of us are just getting into the scouting process, whereas the scouts have been there for over a year, and they've been to the college games, and they've talked with those people behind the scenes. So very, very beneficial, especially uh, for myself. So I'm very glad I went, glad it was back, and was very appreciative of the NBA to allow me inside that draft lottery room. I thought it was very worthwhile, and I was glad to write about it, to share about it with you on fieldhousefiles.com. So be sure to check it out. All right, to wrap it up, I'll go to questions. I, I asked followers on Twitter if you had any questions about my experience in Chicago at the draft drawing room or the draft lottery. So I'll take a handful of questions here and try to get to them quickly. 
Alex asks, what's my Mount Rushmore of Gatorade flavors? He's asking that because I mentioned inside the drawing room, there's no water. So I ended up grabbing a Gatorade and I grabbed lemon lime, which is easily my favorite. Uh, so you got to have the lemon lime up there. My second favorite easily is Glacier Freeze, that light blue. After that, I think I'm going with orange followed by the light purple. I think it's Riptide Rush, if I remember correctly. But Lemon Lime, it takes the cake. I prefer the G2, G0, why not? Uh, But Lemon Lime, Glacier Freeze, those are my go-to. Otherwise, I don't drink Gatorade very often. Have body armor sometimes, but most of the time, if I want more electrolytes, I'm just having kind of the Pedialyte or the CVS version, quite honestly. Alex also wondered... Who knows the order of the lottery before it's televised? Did KP, Carlisle, Ted Wu, those are front office members, know or just chat? Easy answer here, just chat. Just those inside the room, just those team representatives. So to take it one step further, for example, Joel Glass of Orlando could not contact anyone after they had won the lottery. Chad couldn't. I couldn't tweet out the info. We're locked down. So just those inside the room know. So Domus, on-stage representative for the Sacramento Kings, had no idea. Neither did Kelly Kroskoff, Pacers on-stage representative. They have no idea. Just us in the back room are the only ones that are aware of the results. Jaden asks, what are the Pacers' thoughts on Brogdon? Is there anything we should watch for? Because he was resting the final couple weeks of the season. Do you think they came to an agreement on parting ways? I think Brogdon will be moved this offseason. It makes all kinds of sense. Halliburton is the point guard. He's running the show. He, at least for right now, until that sixth overall pick, who could be presumably better, you're building around Halliburton. And so I don't like the backcourt pairing of Brogdon and Halliburton. It was a it was a negative plus minus, small sample size, but it looked like Halliburton was second-guessing himself. He didn't play to potential. He was kind of yielding to Brogdon. Brogdon has several more years under contract. He's more of a win-now type player. I think he'd be really good in a place where he's not dependent on necessarily every single night. I mean, honestly, going back to Milwaukee, they don't have the cap space, but it would make all kinds of sense. Because they have Giannis, they have Drew Holiday, but if Drew gets hurt for 20 games, Brogdon could fill the void, but mostly play off ball, and that's where he was efficient. 50-40-90, right? Win-now team makes a lot of sense, though, for Brogdon versus the Pacers. Now, do you think they came to an agreement, he asked, at the end of the season? No, I think what that was was there was no great incentive for the Pacers to win, and on top of that, they wanted to see what they had and play Halliburton and Buddy Heald to know what they are. Uh, Meanwhile, Malcolm was not 100%. He was coming off uh, that injury, remember, in Achilles, and you certainly don't want to risk snapping that. Brogdon said he was feeling great. They were monitoring it, and he was taking it kind of day-to-day, but he felt relatively good. My understanding of what happened there was kind of he wasn't needed, so he did not play. He was eligible. He was, quote-unquote, questionable for each game because if they needed him, mostly if they needed him to, say, be the eighth player active because you had to have eight players active in order to play a game, and because of the COVID hits and players being injured, several games they played, right? Remember the Atlanta blowout where they only had eight players available and they lost by 20-some-plus points. I think that was, the, that was the game that the Pacers had agreed to the deal with Sacramento hours before, so they were limited in who was available. So I think Brogdon was available as needed, and he was not needed. Thanks for the question, Jaden Elliott. Obviously, the Pacers wanted to move up in the draft, but in your opinion, do you believe, do you believe the Pacers themselves feel like six is still a good spot for them? 
yeah, the Pacers wanted to move up, wanted better, but six they are very comfortable with, I think, as you heard Chad say. Um, you can get some very good players, and I think you heard or read probably at Fieldhouse Files, Kevin said where historically in the, he and his front office do a lot of evaluation on previous drafts and where they failed and where they succeeded, and other teams did as well. And he said based on their data, most drafts have about seven elite top players in it. So that could include them if they made that right pick. And on top of that, we've seen in the past, like how many drafts are the best players a later pick? Like 2010, Paul George at 10. Tyrese Halliburton, he was a 12th pick a couple of years ago. Jalen Smith was the 10th pick. So you can get really good value later on even. So that might even be part of the Pacers' incentive if they trade back and pick up an asset and things like that. Maybe they'll want to move forward. I think you could make a really good case for them to trade with Houston at three or Sacramento one spot later at four. They could use guys that can contribute right away and less development where the Pacers are more wanting uh, of development and a young core to build around. So that's something to watch. The other thing, though, is the Pacers should not give up a lot of assets just to move up a couple spots. I'm not a big fan of that. If anything... I would like to see them maybe trade a player, take on a bad contract, and get another first-round pick, another lottery pick. The Knicks come to mind, for example, of a team that would make a lot of sense with, whether it's Brogdon, whether it's Turner, maybe Buddy Heald. There's a lot of players that would make sense elsewhere, uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Nothing concrete. That's purely speculative about locations, but there are places that make a a lot of sense, and the Pacers are in very good position here to do a variety of things, trade up, trade down, acquire bad contracts, just make their picks and develop the sixth pick. Uh, they wouldn't need to do anything right away this summer, or maybe they want to acquire uh, more picks for next year. A lot of options, to use the word Kevin Pritchard reiterated several times Tuesday night after the draft lottery. Halite, I think I'm saying that right, is wondering, is there a cutoff as far as where a player is projected to be selected when it comes to participating in the draft combine scrimmages? I'm assuming it has to do with risk of injury. and Yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. Uh, we even saw a, a couple players perform well in the first day of scrimmages and then sit out the second day. Number one is absolutely risk of injury. Second thing is to kind of be discreet, to not show all your cards. Uh, a guy that comes to mind is Shaden Sharp. There's a lot of mystery for some around him, and I learned a lot more about him and his situation this past week. Well, maybe he wants to be more in control of his destination, and, and so that's something we'll be tracking. Will all teams get his medical? Will all any teams you know, necessarily in the top eight be able to bring him in for a pre-draft workout? This is an agent decision, basically, that usually factors in risk of injury, do they try to get him to a certain location, certain team? And maybe they don't want to be on display and show off what they can do for all teams. Uh, the other risk here is that they go out there and perform poorly after getting some assurances or getting some confidence from league executives that, hey, maybe you're picked in the top eight. If they go out there and perform poorly or severely outplayed, that does not help them. It's like the old adage, it's better to remain silent than to reveal the, your stupidity or whatever. Uh, that's one thing here. It's also trying to keep it a secret a little bit. So that plays in. But yes, it's, it's rather annoying the number of top 10 players that both did not scrimmage and did not 
talk with the media as well to share their story. Keegan Murray is the only player that comes to mind who did, and he confidently did so, performed very well, talked with him for more than 15 minutes. He was really impressive, but all the rest of the guys, like Jaden Ivey, a local guy, he was planning to talk, not play. Well, he decided not to, which suggests he got some confidence, he got some assurances from other teams and did not want to risk injury, did not want to risk sliding or showing off or or being outplayed out there. So that's why you don't see most of those top guys. Pacers game analysis asks, KP mentioned getting a guy that loved basketball. Out of the guys in our range, based on what you saw and heard, who do you think loves playing basketball the most? This is a little subjective, a little difficult, because, again, we're spending less than 15 minutes with some of them during the draft combine opportunities. Talked with Ben Matherin, really like him. He absolutely loves the game, has a great story. Really liked what I heard from Keegan Murray. Uh, so he impressed there. Did not talk with Shaden Sharp. Did not talk or hear from A.J. Griffin. Malachi Branham certainly falls outside the range for the sixth pick for the Pacers. But if they get a late lottery pick, uh, he makes a lot of sense. I really liked his attitude. Same with Johnny Davis. But again, we didn't hear from a lot of these guys. So it's kind of difficult to say. But to keep it short and, and to the point, I think Keegan Murray and Ben Matherin, two of my favorites for that sixth overall pick, I think those two certainly apply their Pacers game analysis. Um, so in terms of what KP was saying, the guy that loves basketball, I think that's important. The other thing noteworthy he said, and I think that's something they do have to consider, is how much importance do they place on market? How much importance does the player have? Or do they get full of themselves or are they humbled? Because the Pacers have had situations where you had PG, Victor, Domus, all kind of get their way out of here. And so that's something I think this front office is taking more concern for because you want guys like so far with Halliburton, who is all in, all in. And I absolutely love it. He's already out in the community and making himself available. Last weekend, he rode in the two-seater pace car for the IndyCar Grand Prix race. He's going to ride in the 500 Festival Parade. He's working out at the facility daily. I think that's really good news and bodes well. And you want more guys that are gym rats, just like him. Same thing as Buddy Heald. He's a guy that will go through practice late morning, then come back in the evening to get more shots up or reinforce maybe what they worked on. So, yeah, I think you're seeing the front office try to reshape how it thinks about players. And I'll have more of that on an upcoming story as I've continued to hint. Not D.B. Cooper wonders, how important is the combine for the NFL I know it's a big deal, but I don't know how much the NBA combine affects draft stock. I would say it's a big deal, not necessarily for the on-court stuff. That's why some of the main people aren't out there, um, because there's more risk than reward. I think that's something that the, the combine group, and by the way, the director, Jim Boylan, was out there. So he was on the court every single day, kind of running things, working with officials, working with the coaching staff working with execs and communicating with them. But I do think that's one area where it can get better. They need to clean it up, find ways maybe to encourage some of those top players to be out there, to participate in some manner. Maybe they don't do all, but they're required to do something. But perfect example, I think, of that weekend, as you saw, what Jalen Wilson, Andrew Nimbar, who was supposed to be in Indy Monday for a Pacers workout, a veteran from Gonzaga, uh, Lofton, Another name that comes to mind, an individual who helped their draft stock. I think what you'll see is some of those individuals maybe on the outside of 
quote unquote mock drafts, how much credence you give to those. Say they're picked 66th on the those big boards. Maybe they move up to 45th, and maybe a guy at 45th could be a early second rounder like Nimbard. I'd really be curious about what he looks like, for example, for the Pacers with their final pick in the second round. But maybe he'll go higher now. So I think for some, it is helpful. But those guys at the top, not very much. Agents are in full control. They'll decide what teams have medical. They'll decide what teams that player visits. And that's about it. There is some rookie orientation, some league events that are put on, some speakers brought in that they can go through behind the scenes. But NBA has to encourage or make a way for players to be more involved. All right, last question. This from Jeremy. If the Pacers were interested in moving up, say into the top three, do they realistically have enough assets to make it happen? I say absolutely. They have full control of their draft picks. They have Cleveland's first-round pick coming in next year. That's probably 18-22 to would be a safe estimate of what it looks like. So multiple first-round picks next year. They have several players they could move on from. Malcolm Brogdon, Buddy Heald, Gogo Pataze, Miles Turner are the main ones that come to mind. So, yes, I do think the Pacers have enough. My thing is, is it worth moving up? Are you willing to give up a couple first-round picks and one of those players that are in your rotation or would be if they are brought back next year? I'm not so sure it is. I'm not in love with any player in this draft, whether it's a top three guy or in that second tier that the Pacers are choosing from. Do you move on from, I'm just speculating here, do you move on from your first-round pick, the sixth pick, uh, Miles Turner and another first to move up and take Bonchero? I don't think you do. That doesn't interest me. I think you can get more value. So, yes, I do think they have the assets, but Pacers have the cap space, and I think having that is way more valuable and should be more advantageous to them in doing deals, not forcing them to include as much. Maybe they take a bad contract on instead of sending out more assets. All right, there was a lot covered on this podcast. Hopefully, in general, though, you're able to get an inside look on the draft combine, the draft lottery. I encourage you, once again, to check out all my stories there at fieldhousefiles.com, my one-on-one conversation with Assistant General Manager Kelly Kroskoff, who was their onstage representative, and a whole lot more. Thanks again for listening to this Fieldhouse Files podcast, and be sure to subscribe to fieldhousefiles.com. And I'll talk to you again soon.